Good morning, church. I want to welcome you here, welcome you in the classic service over in a community hall. We're glad to have you here worshiping with us here at Austin Oaks Church. My name is Chad McCartney. I'm the discipleship pastor here. If you're new here to our church, uh, we're in the midst of a series called Strong in Grace through the book of 2 Timothy, and I'll talk a little bit about that more uh, as we move through the afternoon or the morning. I guess we're morning, aren't we, today? <clears throat> We want you to know, though, first off, if you're new, that we're a church that simply wants to be about Jesus, and we want to help you and help people meet, know, and follow him. And and in particular, in this series, we're going to see a lot of that, because we're going to see this letter written by Paul to Timothy, kind of a spiritual son in his faith, and as he's passing these things down, as Paul's pen in this, probably towards the very end of his life. So uh, before I jump into that, though, let me just say this. We have kind of an exciting, unique opportunity coming here to our church next weekend. It's called the EFCA District Conference. It's our church movement and all the churches that we're connected with across Texas and Oklahoma. Uh, yeah, is, that's kind of uncommon unity right there, right, demonstrating. We're even letting people from Oklahoma come in down here to, to be together with us. But pastors from all of our churches across this whole region will be gathering here next weekend, Friday and Saturday, uh, as we do, they do on an annual basis, to encourage one another, to learn, to grow. Uh, we, as hosts, want to be great hosts. So if you would love to help volunteer for that and just be part of it, we have short little stints where you can help serve those people as they come down and just be hospitable here. As you walk out of our sanctuary today, there'll be a table out here that has a little sign on it that has a picture for the conference. There's a QR code you can scan, and there's a simple little sign-up genius. You can sign up. We have a lot of volunteers already, but still have a number of spots that would be super helpful for us to just love and serve and encourage the churches around our region that will be coming here. You can also hang out and listen in to some of the different things that will be going on and be encouraged yourself, but be a huge help for us as we do that. So 2 Timothy, if you have a Bible with you, we're going to have it up on the screen, but you can turn to the first chapter of 2 Timothy. Pastor Brandon started this off last week, and thankfully, I'm really thankful for this. I had a whole week to prepare for this message this time, so as opposed to Saturday night, I, I, it was kind of nice to have a little bit of time. It just seemed like I had so much time to, to get ready this time. So some of you don't know what I'm talking about. Ask the person next to you. They might. 2 Timothy, Uh, as I mentioned, uh, this is a neat letter uh, where Paul, the Apostle Paul, who's really in the final days of his life, he's imprisoned, he's in a cell down kind of a pit. We saw pictures of that last week, a nasty place. He couldn't, they didn't feed him down there, they didn't really take care of him, it was up to other people to come and drop stuff off for him. It's a pretty nasty spot to be, and he's thinking the end is coming. He's probably going to be charged and killed for whatever false claims that have been charged against him at that time, or true claims, but antagonistic to the gospel in Rome at that time. And so he's writing this letter to a spiritual son, Timothy, who was shepherding and pastoring churches in the area of Ephesus and Asia Minor, that region. And so he's writing these things with a deep heart. Think of, of him writing the very last words that he's passing on. And they're very heartfelt, and you see that in this letter. Heartfelt, very encouraging, very challenging, and saying, Timothy, stay faithful to the things that you have heard me say. And in this first chapter, and really a good part of this letter, Paul is 
constantly coming back to the gospel, the value of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, what Jesus has done for us. And in particular in this section we're going to look at here in the last half of chapter 1, really I want you to see just a couple things. One of them is is this, what is the gospel? Paul's going to elaborate on it kind of in a big picture, high view of what the gospel is, summarize it in this passage for Timothy again, and then he's going to say, hey, what does it look like when you embrace this, Timothy? What does it look like for someone to take this gospel, to believe in this gospel, to accept Jesus Christ as a savior and live like the gospel? What is your life going to look like when you embrace it? And so that's what we're going to see as Paul's writing this to Timothy. What is the gospel and how should I embrace it as we go through it? So if you have your Bible with you, I said 2 Timothy chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 8. I'm going to pray for us. As we do this, and then we're going to just read through this whole section and kind of break these things down as we go. Father, thank you for this truth. Lord, it's pretty amazing that we have access to uh, something written so long ago that still has tremendous impact today. Lord, your truths are eternal. They uh, don't have a time when they're relevant and a time when they're not relevant. They're always true. So, Lord, as we open up your word today, I pray that it will examine our hearts, our minds, our desires, and our understanding, that you would shape us and and help us better see the truth of the gospel and the impact it has in our lives as we embrace it and the impact it'll have in others as we share it. So, Lord, do that work in our hearts as we worship you and, and listen for you today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 2 Timothy 1, we're going to start in verse 8 and slide down. It says, so don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Paul's saying this to Timothy. Instead, share in suffering for the gospel. So here's where I'm springing from here. He's saying share in suffering for the gospel, relying on the power of God. And now in verse 9 and 10, he's going to elaborate on what that gospel is. So if you have your Bible, if you're writing notes, here's where he's going to say share in suffering for the gospel. Now he's going to say this is the gospel. Here it is. He's going to elaborate on it, a, a big picture view. He says, he has saved us, God, and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. This is how, this has now been made evident through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who has abolished death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. For this gospel I was appointed a herald, an apostle, and teacher, and that is why I suffer these things. But, but I'm not ashamed because I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to guard what was entrusted to me until that day. Hold on to the pattern of sound teaching that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit through the Holy Spirit who lives in us. You know that all those in the province of Asia have deserted me, including Phygelus and Hermogenes, May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus. Yeah, something like that, Onesiphorus. <laughs> you notice how none of these biblical names are like passed down to anyone now? You see Matthew, John, they're all over the place, but no one picks, if you want a unique baby name, if you're pregnant, you got a handful right here. They'll be the only one in their class. 
May the Lord grant mercy to his household because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he diligently searched for me and found me. May the Lord grant that he obtained mercy from him on that day. You know very well how much he ministered at Ephesus. What is the gospel and how should I embrace it? So Paul gives us a, a snapshot of it here in verses 9 and 10. And, and here's how I want to summarize it for you, and, and then we'll look into it and dive into this a little bit, is, is the gospel is a glorious work that God has done. The gospel is a glorious work that God has done. This word glory or glorious means weighty, meaning it's significant. It's so important. It's of utmost importance. And Paul is wanting Timothy to be mindful of that, saying, Timothy, you've got to understand what the real gospel is. It's a, it's a significant, a glorious work that God has done. You see, we see it in this passage. Look in verse 9. He says, says, he has saved us and he has called us with a holy calling. Not according to our works. See, the gospel is not something that we do. It's something that God has done. Not according to our works, but according to his, God's own purpose and grace which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. It was given before we even existed. Paul is reminding Timothy, don't forget who the gospel is ultimately about. It's not about us. Even though we're graciously part of it, it's about God and what he has done and who he is. He even goes on to say, this has now been made evident through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who has abolished death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Even in its revealing, it was done before time even started, but then it was revealed in the sense of how God sent his son, clothed him in human flesh, and then he revealed in history the gospel to us through Jesus through his life, his perfect sinless life, his death on the cross, and his resurrection to brand new life. He destroyed and abolished death. And now he's revealed to us immortality, life eternally. That is the gospel. It's, it's a work of God. It's a glorious work that God has done. And it's not something that we've done. It's so important we understand that. Paul was reiterating this to Timothy over and over again. What's at the center of the gospel? It's not us. It's God. It's what he has done. I love what Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus where Timothy was at as well. If you flip to Ephesians chapter 1, one of the greatest pictures of the gospel fleshed out in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and all their different parts in here. But in this opening letter, which by the way, in the original language is, is all one sentence. It's like Paul can't stop just spewing out all the beauties and glories of the gospel and who is responsible for it. He says this in verse 3 of chapter 1 in Ephesians. He says, blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself according to the good pleasure of Chad's will. Is, it, is that what it says? No. 
put any of your names in it. It's not what it says. According to his will. According to the good pleasure of his will. To the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one. In him... We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Now he's talking about the son. Jesus, the son, is the redeemer. He gives us the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace that he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ as a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ both things in heaven and things on earth in him. In him we also receive an inheritance because we were predestined according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of his will. What Paul was writing to Ephesus, he was summarizing to Timothy, saying don't forget the heart of the gospel. The gospel is a glorious work that God has done. You might say, well, well what's our part, Chad? What, what do we, part do we play? I'm glad you asked that. Because Paul tells the Ephesians that as well. And if you can read that, look in that same passage, chapter 2. Paul says what our part was in the gospel. And he says this in verse 1 of chapter 2. And he says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. This is talking about us now in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient, we too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and we were by nature children under wrath, as others were also. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love, that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. Paul realized the most vital aspect of Timothy's ministry, the most vital aspect of the church's ministry is onefold. We can do everything else you can imagine churches do. And they might be good things. But if you don't hold to the gospel, if you don't cling to the gospel, if you don't communicate the glorious gospel that God has given us through Jesus, then all those other things mean nothing. And that's what he's sharing with Timothy here more than anything. Hang on to the gospel. Why is this so important to embrace? Because if you think you bring something to the gospel, the moment you think you bring something to the table in the gospel, here's what will happen practically in your life. You will start to think that God owes you something or that he owes you some kind of life. The moment you think you bring something, that becomes your leverage. Yeah, but God, look at, yeah, but God, but, yeah, but you will use that as a tool and you will say, God, you owe me this in my life. You owe me this or, or you, you shouldn't allow that to happen in my life. The moment you think you bring something, you put yourself in the center of the gospel rather than God. 
And we all have that tendency to do just that, to make the gospel about ourselves. I love uh, Bob Shogren, who's a, an author. Uh, he's a president of Unveiled Glory Ministries. And, and I remember getting a hold of this teaching years ago, and, and I thought he'd just done a, an, a miraculous job of capturing this truth in a very both humorous but very poignant way. And one of the, the things he produced or the teachings he had that he fleshed out a lot of this truth in was a, a thing called cat and dog theology. That's what he named it, cat and dog theology. I think you can still get it. I'd encourage you, get it, listen to it. It's, it's both uh, incre- incredibly interesting, but also very powerful in the pictures that he uses. But here's some of the things that he would stay inside that. And he, he compares cats and dogs to people who realize God is the glorious source of the gospel and those who still think, well, no, I think I bring something to the table. He says cats and dogs kind of reveal that. And, and here's what co- dogs say. He says a dog may look at you and think, you feed me, you pet me, you shelter me, you love me, you must be God. Where a cat will look at you and say, you feed me, you pet me, you shelter me, you love me, I must be God. <laughs> Dogs think in their head, when they, when they come to you, they, they think, I exist to serve you. And gats, when they come to you, they go, you exist to serve me. A dog, a dog has a master, right? Everyone knows that. A dog has a master. A cat has staff. <laughs> and we can laugh about that. We all can see the reality of that. But that's exactly how we approach God oftentimes when we don't have a proper perspective of the gospel. You can often see if you're more of a dog or a cat by evaluating your prayer life. Are you just asking for a whole bunch of requests for God to carry out the will and the desires and the life that you think you should have here on earth? Or do you find your prayer life leaning towards more this idea that I'm here to serve you, God, and to serve your will? What is your will for me today? What can I do on earth to bring your will from heaven down here. Our prayer life often reveals our view of the gospel. Paul goes on then to to flesh this out. So what does it look like when you embrace the gospel in your life? And he's encouraging Timothy in this. And and he's going to go on in verse 12. He says this and comes back to this theme that we saw earlier. Uh, He says this, and that is why I suffer these things. But I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to guard what has been entrusted to me until that day. Paul encourages him to suffer with him. He says, this is why I suffer. I'm not ashamed of it. He's embraced the gospel. And and here's the second point we see in here. And you're going to see this theme come up over and over and over in in this epistle. Over and over. Because as you embrace the gospel, is my point, as you embrace the gospel, I'm willing to sacrifice for others. As I embrace the gospel, as, as I make the gospel more real in my life, as I recognize its reality, as I see its significance and its goodness and its power and its influence, you will begin to sacrifice more for the sake of others. You'll be willing to do that. 
And Paul says, it's not like it's a loss. Here's one of our struggles, and it's my struggle as well. Trust me, I'm working through all kinds of things that I feel sometimes have been sacrifices that we've made for God to serve him. And I have to get back to the fact of, wait a minute, what have I given away that hasn't been first given to me? The reality in all of our lives is we tend to think some of this stuff is ours, and we tend to think, especially as Western Americans, that we are entitled to certain things. So we probably struggle with this concept more than the church in many parts of the world, which is why this letter is so much important, more important for us, is to recognize that as I embrace the gospel, I'm willing to sacrifice more. And Paul says this here, I'm not ashamed. Why? He tells us why he's not ashamed of suffering, because I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to guard what has been entrusted to me until that day. That day meaning the, the return of Christ or the judgment seat of Christ. It refers to that end times when, when, when Jesus is going to make everything right that's been wrong. And Paul recognizes because of the gospel and what it points us towards, he says, no matter what I lose here, I haven't lost anything. It's only a deposit towards the glories of eternity that will be infinitely better than anything I could possibly lose here. Now, that doesn't minimize the hurts and pains of things you lose here. Don't hear me saying, oh, just forget about it, just move on, don't even think about it, don't process through it. It's not saying that it minimizes your losses now. What he's saying is that it puts it in perspective when you see the ultimate end of the gospel. You see, nothing you could gain in this present world is everlasting. Nothing. Everything you do in service to God and for the sake of the gospel, not only will be invested for eternity, it'll be infinitely greater than any loss you might incur along the way. Let me tell you how Jesus said this. This is a a neat passage, I think, that captures it really well because they had the same questions back then in Matthew chapter 19. Jesus said this when Peter, they just got done, Jesus had just interacted with the rich young ruler and, and then Jesus is saying, hey, it's, it's more difficult for the rich to get into heaven than it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Which for the, for the apostles, it was like, what? Like they had the same mindset we do. The people who are blessed here on earth, those are the ones that God's showing favor to. And, and Jesus is flipping the script on them saying, that, that's not how things work in this world. And, and Peter, as he often did, is right there to ask him. He says, but Peter responds, see what we've left everything and followed you. So what will there be for us? And Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, in the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, that's the that day that Paul was just talking about in our passage. When he sits on his glorious throne, you will have followed me oh, Yeah, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields because of my name will receive a hundred times more and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last. And the last first. As we embrace the gospel, it makes us more sacrificial for others. Got a rope here.
could stretch out as far as it goes. You could just keep going. But this, this, this rope, pretend this rope is a picture of your life. It's true for everyone's life. And we're going to say, and I'm exaggerating just so you can see it, this part right here is the part of your life that you live here on earth. And this, if that kept going indefinitely, is what eternity will be. And Paul has given us a great perspective of saying, hey, sometimes you lose something here in this little bit, but it's multiplied tenfold for that little bit. But as Christians and as humans, we get so wrapped up in this little bit right here, we're freaking out. We say, but God, you took something from me here, and it's going to impact me here. It's going to have a huge impact on me right at this little spot on, on my rope. And we get hung up on that over and over again. What happens at this part of my rope? Man, it's going to change this last little section. My retirement years, I mean, in the market last year, God, it's going to totally affect this last little strand of my life. What are you doing, God? And God's saying, I, I'm doing something in you that will help you invest in this part of the rope. This is where I want the very best for you. This is where I sent my son to provide the very best for you. Well, we get so focused here. In fact, we've even taken the gospel. We call it the prosperity gospel. And we've tried to make the gospel about this part of the rope. And that breaks God's heart that we would somehow make that glorious truth about us here rather than about what's to come. Because how we live for the gospel here affects how we will live in eternity for the rest of the road. Paul goes on to say the next thing about it. Because it's so important, it should shape our perspective and everything, but then it should also affect what we do with it. And he's saying this to Timothy in verses 13 and 14. When he says this, he says, Timothy, hold on to the pattern of sound teaching that you have heard from me and the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit through the Holy Spirit that lives in us. Paul gives these two commands back to, to back. Hold on to this pattern of sound teaching. Guard the good deposit. He's talking about the same thing. The teachings that you've given, the gospel that's been passed down, hold on to them. Continue to teach them properly the way they were taught to you. Guard them. Don't let them be changed or, or flipped around or, or padded or taken away from. Keep them as they are. I think of this picture maybe of an illustration that might help us with that. I have a picture of uh, the Starry Night. It's one of Van Gogh's most famous paintings, a hugely, you know, valuable painting worth probably millions and, and millions of dollars. And I want you to picture something. Let's just pretend you're at, a, at an art exhibit here in Austin somewhere, and they happen to have that original painting on display there. And for some reason, like, something's happening. Uh, either people are attacking or there's a fire coming or some crazy situation is, is happening. And the curator grabs that painting and hands it to you and says, I need you to get this out of here because it's going to be destroyed and hang on to it until we can contact you to get it back. I want you to think about how you would handle that. 
Like, would you walk out to your car and say, well, you know, I got stuff in the back here. Let me just grab, the, open up the trunk. I'll throw it back there with my spare tire and, and toss it back. No, you wouldn't do that, would you? You'd, you'd be as careful as you could transporting that back to your house with as much care as possible. You'd guard that thing with great energy. And when you got home, you probably wouldn't put it up on the wall and say, you know what, I think you'd use a, little, a couple more stars. Here, let me, let me add a couple stars in here. Those hills, yeah, I don't like them. I'm going to take the hills away from it. Right? You're not going to do anything. You're going to try to keep it exactly as it is because it has such incredible value in it. Are you with me on this? That's what Paul is doing here with the gospel. And he's teaching us as he's teaching Timothy, as I embrace the gospel, see, when you understand the gospel as it's been given, as we saw earlier, the gloriousness of the gospel, as you embrace that, you'll faithfully teach it and guard it. As you embrace the gospel properly, you're going to want to faithfully teach it. You're going to want to communicate it properly, and you're going to want to guard it for as it is. But it's so easy to want to tweak it. Or, or change it, or, or, or make it more palatable. Let, let me make it more relevant. People love relevant right now. They've made an idol of relevant. But irrelevant is, again, relevant lasts for, like, how long on this rope? How many different relevants have there been across the, the length of this rope? It changes all the time. And we become so arrogant thinking, well, our relevance right now, I mean, we stand on the shoulders of giants. We understand and see the world so much better than those foolish people back in the 50s or the 20s. I mean, heaven forbid you get into the 1800s. Like, what did they know back then, right? Like, we have this human arrogance that thinks that we know best at any given time, which just, again, reveals why we need a gospel truth that penetrates through Every single generation. Paul's encouraging Timothy, hold on to this, son. Guard it with all that you got. Ironically, if you study church history at all, and even are present with modern times, you'll realize that the mainline denominations in the United States and really elsewhere that are straying away from godly biblical truth, the ones who think they're becoming more and more relevant are dying and drifting away faster and faster and faster. And those that are clinging and and continuing to teach the truth of scriptures continue to grow. Not as much here in the United States, but again, we're not focused here, but across the world, that's the truth. That's the reality. The gospel changes people. A relevant truth or something that we change and tweak for our own good will last as long as we last. But God has given us an eternal truth that never fades away. And that leads us to our last little bit here that we see in this passage. And we see the example of it that Paul gives as well. And we see it here in lots of different ways as this. And I'm going to say it and then we'll read through it and see it. As, As I embrace the gospel... I'll experience rejection and transformation in others. As I embrace the gospel, I'm, I'm going to experience rejection, and you're going to experience transformation in other people's lives. 
Paul says that here, and he gives us just an example of what's happening uh, in this passage. He says in verse 15, you know all those in the province of Asia have deserted me, including Phygelus and Hermogenes. And then he goes on to talk about Anisiphorus and how he's faithfully searched for him and, and cared for him and, and took care of Paul in the midst of a very difficult season, which put him at risk, Onesiphorus, at risk doing just that. Associating with Paul was very dangerous. And many letters, Paul talks about this. You see that over and over. You'll see it more in this letter. You see it in other letters. Paul recognizes what Jesus recognized. When you proclaim the truth, there are always going to be people who reject that truth. Maybe some that even start out in it, but, but just like many of us, you can start in it and realize at some point, who, man, the gospel's not all about me. Wait, it's not about just making my life better here on earth. And those people will often walk away. In fact, I know Paul's not the only one. I know Jesus wasn't the only one. I know there's many people here that you have people you are close to that they once walked with the Lord or you thought they were walking with the Lord and they were engaged in church and they were doing all those things and now they've just drifted off and have nothing to do with it. And we often ask, like, how did that happen? But the reality is that has always been true in history and time. The gospel is going to divide the world. And if you embrace it, you will have both rejection in your life, some of the most hard and difficult rejections in your life, and you'll see the most incredible transformations. It happened to Jesus. It happened to Paul. And Paul is letting Timothy know. Timothy, don't be put off by this. It's part of the process. I know as a pastor who, who's been doing this for 20 years, uh, I knew that was really hard. And, and, and your pastors, it's really difficult. And it's, I'm not saying this always in a spiritual way. I'm just saying it's hard when people leave your church or they leave your ministry or they abandon it. You take it so personally. And one of the things we can do that's not good is we can say, what can I change to, to keep those people around? Now, sometimes there's maybe something specific that you did. That happens, certainly. But oftentimes, people are just offended by the truth or they don't like how it's being applied and they're just going to leave because they want things done their way. And if you continue to chase those people, what happens is you begin changing your church to accommodate those people's preferences or desires rather than proclaiming the gospel and doing what the scriptures say we're supposed to be and do as a church. We have to realize we are going to have people that walk away and abandon us. It's part of the process. It's part of embracing the gospel. But you're also going to see people's lives changed and transformed in amazing ways because you stay true to proclaiming that life-changing gospel. You know, you can't know the gospel without knowing Jesus. He's the infinite, glorious Son of God who set aside his glorious privileges in heaven to take on human flesh. He didn't come, become human and then set up the biggest castle for himself. He didn't say, hey, I'm Jesus, and I'm going to use all this power because I have all power. And do you realize that Jesus was the wealthiest man to ever walk the earth? Did you realize that? 
What didn't he own in the universe? He owns it all. He created it all. But he chose not to indulge himself in what he owned, not just to be an example for you and I, but to be a sacrifice to you and I. But to show us that, hey, what you think is so awesome in this fallen, broken world doesn't compare to what's awaiting you in the presence of my Father. You see, Jesus was tempted in every way like you and I are in this world, but I believe, and this is Chad, there's the Bible, this isn't heresy, but I don't, you don't hear this necessarily. I believe that what Jesus knew and saw in heaven was so incredibly better than what we tempted him with here, what the devil threw at him here, that it was like, why would I be tempted with this? I'll suffer whatever it takes to get back to that place of glory than to give in to what this world can offer. You and I don't have that. We, by faith, believe and trust in what we cannot see with our own eyes. But Jesus is that picture. He's the perfect link of that rope from here to eternity. And we can watch how he lived, and we can see how he died and rose again. He's the only religious teacher that's ever done that. He knows the path. And he calls us to follow it with him. See, when the devil tempted him in the desert and challenged him to embrace a different gospel, that's what the devil was doing. Read it for yourself in Matthew chapter 4. The devil brought Jesus to all these different places and challenged him to embrace a different gospel. He said, hey, turn this rock into bread. You deserve that. Like, you're hungry. Turn it into bread. He, he challenged him to say, hey, there's a gospel out there that's, that can just satisfy yourself in this world. It doesn't require you to deny your selfish desires or your even good desires for God's sake. He took him up on the mountains and showed him the glory and said, you can have all this glory, all this power, all this authority. You can have it right now, Jesus. You don't have to go to the cross. You don't have to make that sacrifice. He was offering him a different gospel. He took him up on the pinnacle of the temple, knowing that, hey, all the Jewish people would be hanging out there, the, the who's who in Jewish world. He said, if you throw yourself down right here and the angels rescue you and, and these people see you, they're going to finally recognize you as the Messiah. You'll be as popular as you possibly can. And Jesus, if you do that, you don't have to go to the cross. You can have that popularity right here, right now. But Jesus was unshakable. He knew there was only one way, one path that was sufficient to glorify the Father. He didn't need to make his gospel more relevant for the times. He didn't need to add to it or subtract to it to make it more palatable, more safe. He didn't want a safe gospel. He wanted a gospel that transforms sinners' lives. He didn't just faithfully teach it. He didn't just suffer for it. Jesus gave his whole life for this gospel. He became the gospel for you 
and for me. So how do you need to embrace the gospel today? Where in your life, if Paul was writing this letter to you, what would he be emphasizing to you about embracing the gospel? You know, maybe you're here and, and you're checking out this whole Christianity thing and obviously there's all kinds of bad press out there. There's all kinds of different versions of it. And we're far from perfect here at Austin Oaks Church. But I think if you follow this passage and you see these truths, maybe for the first time you've been open to this gospel, that God is working in your heart right now and he's peeling off those layers that maybe have kept you from seeing it. Maybe he's tugging in your heart right now and saying, you're part of that gospel. And he's calling you to trust him with your life today, showing you how he gave his life for the sake of this gospel. And for you, it's that step. Listen to that call. Trust him as your savior today because you will not find anything in this world that can save you like Jesus. Maybe you've believed that message and you've been brought up in the church or you've been here for a long time, but, but you struggle to embrace the significance of this gospel that makes it worth your sacrifice. The gospel's a nice companion for you on your way to a life of personal fulfillment, but, but giving up my life for the sake of a new life? I don't remember that being part of the gospel, God. I'm here because I want you to give me the life that I desire. See, a lack of loving sacrifice or service to Jesus reveals a lack of the gospel's significance in your life. If your life is consumed with fulfilling your idea of your purpose in life, then you probably have not really embraced the fullness of the gospel. Because as you continue to embrace it, and this is a process in our lives, you will continue to give your purpose in life away and take on the purpose that God has for you through Jesus Christ. And church, remember, it may be difficult for a bit, but it'll be glorious for all of eternity. Don't let something in this part of life trip you up and keep you from embracing what's there for all of eternity. How sad would that be? How short-sighted would that be if we did that? You see, if the gospel isn't an inconvenience in this worldly life, then I would say the gospel isn't significant in your life. It's going to be an inconvenience in this world. So how are you arranging your life around the gospel and not vice versa? Lastly, maybe you like parts of the gospel, but other aspects seem a bit offensive or out of date, or, or maybe you have a more palatable version. And Austin's great with this. There's lots of this going around here in Austin. There's lots of it going around the world in Western Christianity. We want to make the gospel more palatable to our world. 
That was never Jesus' plan. Because only his gospel can transform us from this world. See, a partial gospel or a palatable gospel will always lead to a part-time Christian or a once-was Christian. Only the true gospel can transform you and keep you and hold you till that last moment. I don't know where you are in your life today, but Paul to Timothy was encouraging him to embrace this gospel and God to you, to me, is encouraging us to embrace this gospel and let it change and transform us like nothing else can. Let's pray. Father, I'd be lying if I didn't regularly say when I open up this book, it both offends me and challenges me and grows me. It points at things in my life that I know you need to change. But Lord, that's how I know this book is not from this world. Because it sees right through to our hearts. And it gets right to the core of our own pride and our own desire to make our lives the most self-fulfilling lives that they can be. But you've said the only way that will truly happen is if we take up our cross, deny ourselves, and follow you. Jesus, you modeled that for us, a life of service and sacrifice for others, all the way to your very death on the cross. But then you showed us <laughs> that that was just a pathway. It's not the end point that eternal, glorious life awaits us in your presence. And Lord, whatever pains we experience now, whatever suffering and whatever difficulty, whatever strains, whatever challenges, they will leave scars, Lord. I'm not saying they won't leave scars that won't last as long as we're on this world. But the moment we step into your presence, we will see how momentary and how minuscule they look compared to what you have prepared for us for all time. Lord, set our eyes on that truth. Let us hold on to it. Let us cling to it. Let us guard it with all that we have, Lord, with the spirit that you've given us so that you might be glorified and we might experience the good that you have for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.